Hello world, hello family, hello tribe, what's up Chicago and beyond, this is WHBK 88.5 and you are listening to Ergo Radio, it is Thursday at noon so that means Damon is on your airwaves with his homeboy, introduce yourself. This is Daniel, thanks for tuning in, we are here showcasing strong young voices from Chicago and beyond, we're very excited to bring you this week's guest, we kept it in the family, she is the sister of one of your hosts, let's see if you can guess who it is, Um, I'll let Damon, you want to do an intro for Oh my God, I am so excited and so happy to just be alive and be here today and be with one of my favorite, most beautiful people. There are a few people in the world that I love more than today's guest. Oh, and, that was so nice to talk about. <laughs> and co- coincidentally, this is an interesting fun fact people don't know about our guest. She is not comedian Little Real Howie. Um, <laughs> for all of, for our tens of social media fans, Ergo fans out there. We are not interviewing comedian Little Rail. We are interviewing somebody so much greater. Oh, my gosh. big <laughs> sister. Shots at Rail. I'm at you. Nah, love. Uh, shout, shout out to my big sister here with us back home from around the world, Miss Christiana Cologne. What's up, sis? What up, bro? Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're cheering at home for you like they do every week. Welcome to the program. Man, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And uh, welcome back to Chicago. I know you were overseas for a minute. Uh, What were you doing and where were you? I was in London in the UK um, for the world premiere of my play Octagon, which um, started running on Damon's birthday (laughs) and continues running until October 17th. 21st night of September. Yeah. That's my B-Day for those who don't know Earth, Wind & Fire songs. But... (laughs) Yes. So, Christiana, more than just being my big sister, you are one of the world's greatest playwrights. You are a phenomenal poet. You are, what else do you do? You rap with me. Yes, I do. You are, this is weird. Like, I'm interviewing (laughs) you. You are uh, a a social leader and an organizer and activist. Uh, what, What other slashes have you claimed? Just writer, a holistically... Uh, yeah, I write lots fashionista of stuff. Type. I wouldn't call myself a fashionista. I'm just a lover of extravagant hosiery. <laughs> okay, um, all right. That sounded like some like Fonsworth Bentley style. <laughs> a hosiery expert, I'll be more specific. Okay. Um, and I I teach from time to you time. Teach. So oh, right, right. You've been yeah, a college I've professor. Been a college professor and a teaching artist for a number of different. Um, creative writing and literary organizations, including our flagship home, Young Chicago Authors. True. Shout out, squad. Mm-hmm. I had to snap for the poets there for a second. <laughs> um, so let's let's start with one of those slashes. Let's start with Playwright and this particular the show that just went up in London. Um, first off, how would you describe the feeling of seeing your show go up? Oh, it's the most intoxicating feeling that I've ever experienced. I mean, you have all of these ideas floating around in your head and for months and months and months, you're a crazy person talking to yourself with eight voices in your head. (laughs) And then finally, finally, you know, after a lot of hard work, um, a team of people gets involved to bring the vision that you've seen in your head to life and to the stage and bring all of these different interpretations to it. So Having so many people, so many artists of different disciplines, a sound designer, a light designer, a set designer, eight actors, a director, uh, come together to create a vision um, that started in my head is one of the deepest honors and is absolutely exhilarating. Yeah, I think I think uh, what's special about the piece and what I kind of heard 
um, from the audience because, you know, it was kind of hard even for me because I've been so close to Octagon and the work for the two, three years now, it seems, that you've been building it. Um, was seeing people say, like, all of those voices that are in your head that you kind of just alluded to. So for those who don't know anything about Christiana, about the play, um, it really embodies kind of who you are and how you try to work in the interdisciplinary style. So it's a, it's a play about the world of Poetry Slam. Why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about the format of the play, how it right. came together, and maybe just like a brief synopsis yeah. of what it is. No spoiler alert. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely no spoilers. You'll have to wait for it to come to America. Um, yeah, so Octagon takes place in the world of Poetry Slam. It follows eight poets, and in the midst of this last-minute Poetry Slam that is happening to fill a a suddenly opened spot on a team that is headed to nationals, um, a documentary is being filmed. So it's very much inspired by my own experience on the poetry slam scene. I started slamming in Louder Than a Bomb when I was 16, and that was really how I got started on my path as a writer. So it's very much, you know, my love letter to slam, my hate letter to slam, (laughs) um, and strives to bring together the theater audience and the spoken word audience in a way that's never really been done before. Uh, Poetry Slam has not lived on stage in this way, uh, as far as I know, in any other piece of theater. So how how do you, how did that process come about of, I am going to now embody the voice of eight different poets, right? How do you, how do you do that? How do you write poems? Uh, Especially as someone who's written in your own voice for so many years now. And other voices as a playwright, but specifically in poetry. Yeah, it was tough. Um, I watched a lot of YouTube videos. You know, I looked up a lot of my favorite poets. And um, people always ask me, like, are these based on real people? And, you know, to a certain extent, you know, they are composites of poets that I know. Who specifically names and, uh, yeah, and all the negative parts of it. (laughs) (laughs) Who who we take shots at. We're all about conflict on Ergo Radio. (laughs) No, I'm not starting any poetry slam beef on Uh, your show. We're about beef. We have (laughs) You don't start it. Damon's going to start it for you. (laughs) We we at your neck. uh... (laughs) I mean, you know, if if the play is starting beef with anyone, uh, it is definitely William Shakespeare. I'm coming at his neck all day uh, because it is a play that's in verse, but it's in verse with a hip hop aesthetic. And it really means to challenge the notion that dead white men are going to dominate theater forevermore. So, you know, we've been doing and redoing Shakespeare's work for 500 years. And he's, a you know, a big influence on me. I love Shakespeare. At the same time, I think that the same level of study and the same level of care needs to be given to young voices, to uh, voices of color, to women's voices. Uh, and that the hip hop aesthetic needs to be taken just as seriously as, you know, some iambic pentameter. And so octagon means to demonstrate that, like, I have the fluidity to do both. Mm. And I'm definitely taking shots at Shakespeare all day. <laughs> got to be careful with him. He's got goons, though. <laughs> I heard Shakespeare's I don't got know. goons. I think, I think by the fact that I'm alive, I'm automatically winning. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so um, let's go back to the moment that you even, or some of the moments that you first felt comfortable picking up a pen and putting it to paper uh where were the entry points for you into writing um and what was exciting about that she probably was going to get a whoop and if she did she probably had to uh yeah damon damon the other of april's fools he knows the drill um yeah so writing is something that like from the moment that i could actually hold a pencil on my own was something that i was doing and doing creatively and a lot of that was definitely um, under, you know, threat of penalty uh, from my mother. So when I was 
very small, like starting at age four or five, whenever there was a day off school, you know, Columbus Day, Pulaski Day, Teacher Institute Day, whatever. I gotta say, day. Chicago is like the, the <laughs> oddest days off. Like, the what is Pulaski Day? That's I think is I don't know who Pulaski is, but um, we have. I think Chicago has more Polish people than any city in Poland, so I think that's just all that's about. No, I think that's an actual fact, like wow. not, not a joke. So yeah, they figured real. out a way to get a holiday. So hey, props to them. We just need like I don't know what would be the black like Elijah Muhammad Day or something. <laughs> Who's the black Chicago <laughs> Jesse Jackson Day? Or something. Oh my god! <laughs> if anyone can campaign for it and have enough cameras on it, <laughs> Jesse. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So on of these days off school, my mom would like wake me up when she would leave for work in the morning and say, you know, I want five palms and three book reports from the dining room table by the time I get home from work. So I was in my little five-year-old self, like sitting there stressed out, <laughs> trying <laughs> to like, yeah, yeah right, on deadlines, trying to um, do this literary practice of reading and writing um, at my mother's insistence. And, you know, as much as it was really annoying when you want to watch Nickelodeon as a five-year-old, mm -hmm. it definitely instilled the practice in me and uh, was something that I think I carry with me into my teenage years when I hooked up with Young Chicago Authors. Dame, did you have to do the same thing? Oh, no, I was watching the Nickelodeon, <laughs> for sure. She was, I don't know if it was the boy thing or her being an older thing, but she definitely eased up on me. Or maybe I just was like... Nah. <laughs> I was able to. I was more of a trickster. I, I knew how to play the cute role <laughs> and like not fight, but like make her think I was going along with it. Like just go outside and play basketball. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so he got away with that one. Yeah, so he, for he has other aptitudes. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, just since we happen to have siblings on the show, like what, uh, Christiana? How would you describe like let's say seven year old Damon? Oh goodness. Um, so. <laughs> You know, interesting fact about uh, the genesis of April Fool's, like, <clears throat> my brother and I didn't really rock too hard until he was about 16. Like, mm -hmm. I, I kind of um, was still in this mindset that I was the only child. And then, <laughs> like, I looked up one day and I was like, oh, my gosh, he's cool. <laughs> yeah. How did this happen? Did y'all grow up in the same house? We did. <laughs> we she, did she but on different happening. floors. Yeah. <laughs> um, she so. kind of was just separate from from the household she kind of just had her own her own thing for yeah. the time she was about like 13 14 she was pretty much on her own rhythm yeah i was definitely on my <laughs> own rhythm um so you know i could like stereotype seven-year-old damon but you honestly have no idea because you weren't there <laughs> i mean <laughs> is that what you're saying <laughs> i'm not gonna say i i think that at that time uh my perception of him was he was prince damon and the world bent to his will mm. um and you know he's very cute very charming very funny uh very gifted and you know like i've never heard someone use those words with the tone of <laughs> like an insult insults, right it's like uh... no, only a sister can do that that was amazing <laughs> <laughs> like damn you know? I'm cute man yeah Love yeah <laughs> so so the world was his oyster from my adolescent perspective from the other floor you're looking at him at the other floor like, i mean mm. i was in the basement <laughs> oh Right. <laughs> oh, and she liked it that way. It sounds almost like a Cinderella-like stepdaughter, <laughs> but that's not it. She had her whole floor to herself, and, and I was she was in rocking the cave. with that. <laughs> so you start writing on the days off and stuff like that. Um, you've mentioned YCA a couple times. Where was the entry point into that community for you? How old were you? How'd you first find out about it? Yeah, I found myself. I saw like a hand-drawn 
plugger floating around Whitney Young um, my sophomore year there. And I went to the second annual Louder Than a Bomb, and I saw Xavier Ramey. You're 65 years old, correct? I am very old, yes. <laughs> I am old as dust. Um, but yes, yeah, so I went I went, and I saw these teenagers on stage performing their own work and I was like, oh, I thought I was the only weirdo. Um, there are others like me out here who have found a platform for their voice. I must do this. And so I started going to wordplay. Were you writing poetry already? Oh, most definitely. I had journals on journals on journals of very sad poetry. <laughs> had you had you read it to anyone? Um, you know, I think I had probably like slipped them in my boyfriend's lockers and uh, stuff. That's interesting. Know. I don't think I knew about your poems until you were already performing them. Yeah, I was. I, I. <laughs> it wasn't like a a thing that you like had talked tons about. of journals of poetry. I Maybe mean, I was just too. too busy I being a had my <laughs> first poem published when I was six. So of those piles of poems that mom made me write at the dining room table, she submitted one of them to a children's poetry anthology. So like, who got the royalties though? <laughs> I never, I never saw those royalty checks. <laughs> Mom hustling us. <laughs> had you acting, David? Yeah. Had you writing poetry and just pocketing the money? We're on to you. Yes, my kids are gonna succeed. <laughs> she, made, she made you trademark her name when you wanted for the rap group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so you're in that community. You start participating in uh, Louder Than a Bomb. What were kind of your first? So you have this feeling of like, here are some weirdos I can connect with because I'm a weirdo just like them. Uh, what was super, in addition to that, exciting to you about it? And was there anything to you that felt like like weird or like, hmm, like this doesn't feel quite right about it? Because I know with the play, like some of it is a critique of this community as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that didn't come until much later. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, like when I was first introduced to the community, it was just like coming home. Um I had finally an outlet and all this affirmation for um, the things that I had been doing kind of by myself in my journal, by myself in my room, in the dungeon, in the cave. <laughs> um, and so to get some discipline and have people giving me writing prompts and actually trying to give me some skills and, and understand, you know, the technicality of what I was doing on the page was not something that I was getting in the classroom at mm. CPS. Even at, and so you're Whitney at this point. Yeah, I mean Whitney Young was great. I you know I had a good time there. Um, but I think it's no secret that you know a part of the CPS curriculum there isn't a ton of creative writing craft right. that's going on or artistic craft in general. Um, you have the exception certainly at some schools, but for the most part, it's like fill in the scantron. Uh, so I was really getting a lot of that supplemented from, you know, Tara Betts and Marlon Escara and Idris Goodwin and Kevin Koval and all of the, the teaching squad that was at YCA when I was first coming around. Um, and, and then, you know, when I started competing, our team did really well. So my first time going to London was actually with my Louder Than a Bomb team. Mm -hmm. and, cool. and it was, we featured at London's first Youth Slam. That's very cool. Yeah, she's she's been large for a long time. <laughs> so we're gonna take a quick break, let you sip your tea a little bit. Uh and we're gonna play I think for one of your favorite artists right now. Okay. So this is an honor of you and and what you're kinda going through right now. I know your little phase. We was hanging out yesterday. So we got some <laughs> we got some FKA twigs. Yeah. With water me. Mm -hmm. 
That was FKA Twigs with Water Me. We are on 88.5 WHBK. Not really a lot of words in that song. No. A lot of, lot of room, a lot of, lot of sound and, and space going I on. I admire it. Deeply. Nah, I'm, I'm rocking with it. Uh, <laughs> Which is ironic considering we'll play a song that y'all did together in a little bit. And it has more words. When you guys make a song together, it has more words than literally anything else in the world. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's something I picked up from her. She's definitely... Like th- that is even a, a big part of octagon. Like verbiose is that the word? Verbose. Verbose. Yeah. See, she yeah. teaches my mm. vocabulary. <laughs> verbose. You're like you're probably one of the most verbose people out. Yeah. Like in words any on words on words in any like <laughs> lane. Like that's pretty much your thing. And would you say that is a direct path of like the whole sit at this table and and read these fifth grade books in first grade or what what other influences in the world like influence your genius because you're not just like artsy and literary with it like you know you got like you went here university of chicago and you're like what'd you graduate like 4.0 type joint? uh like a 365 what happened <laughs> yeah, but like straight a's <laughs> type like you know what i'm saying like you are like certifiable genius and and what what would you like 
most attribute that to? <laughs> um, Big sister. <laughs> it, wow. I believe the answer he's looking for is him. Yeah, yeah, him yeah. T- yeah. T- t- tell him, tell him how I did it. Tell, <laughs> <laughs> let's not be shy about it. You know what I'm saying? We in public. Yeah, we can tell the I truth. Mean, Damon did all my homework. <laughs> um, proofread all my papers. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, you know, I I don't know if I agree with the assessment of me being a certifiable genius or or even like I think that I have the aptitude for like uh, navigating academic institutions. And I think that's different mm. than genius or intelligence. But what's different is that you didn't just say I'm good at school. You know what I'm saying? You said I have the aptitude <laughs> for navigating <laughs> academic institutions. That was like exhibit A of what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> I mean, but I also think it's exhibit A of what I'm talking about. That, okay. you know, that being able to assimilate in spaces that are, you know, institutionalized is its own skill and I think that that's a skill that was very much drilled in me by April and so yeah I have exceeded in academic spaces because that is the thing that I'm good at is like doing my homework (laughs) and being neurotic so let's backtrack even before both of y'all like so your mom has come up several times and I think is like a pivotal figure very clearly for both of y'all where does her like attention to those kinds of things come from? Like what, what does she do? What's her world? Describe your mom, basically. Uh, she's a force of nature. <laughs> yeah. um, she is her own entity. She, so right now she's a financial consultant. Um, but I always attribute sort of my artistic roots to her own artistry. You know, her and my dad met in a creative writing class at Columbia College. Um, as a kid, you know, she and I did fashion shows and beauty pageants together. So me and my mom would be like on runways together. Um, How was the hosiery at that point? (laughs) You know, it was very much like Bobby socks, ruffled socks and like Mary Jane's. Classic. You know, I was three. Um, (laughs) But, you know, as I got older. Sorry, what a weird question to ask about a (laughs) three-year-old. Yeah, how was some penny hose? <laughs> back in back in eighty nine, how, yeah. how, how was them stockings going, girl? Oh um, but she also acted. You know, she was in a few short films. She was in plays. You know, she was in a play while she was pregnant with Damon, and I would be at rehearsal with her, like sitting in the lobby doing my homework. Um, so I was always around the theater and always around the arts, and. Um, so I think that that was just something that was innate in me from very young. So I, I think also even past her experiences and her tastes, she was just very intentional about exposing us mm-hmm. to things. So making us go to plays or some to the ballet. African dance recital or mm-hmm. something or, you know, stuff we didn't really care about. But like she, it was very much like intended culture, especially in your era. By, by, by my age, she had a little bit more uh, work responsibility and I had a few more basketball games to use as an excuse. But... Yeah, she was just like, go watch Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely that 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 tired like baby syndrome. Like, all right, I did this once. Christiana, you do it type thing. <laughs> and she was like, no, I'm not coming upstairs in the basement. Are you kidding me for that kid? Um, but let's, you mentioned earlier the moment where you realized that Damon was like a real person and like decent and like interested in doing cool things in the world so he was 16 and what's the age difference between y'all uh like six and a half years yeah, six and a half all right so you, on one season. so you were in your early 20s and where were you at that point because what i'm getting at is when you guys started making things together yeah so it was still a few more years after that but i was um 
I guess I was like just finishing grad school and uh, entering the world as a playwright and just starting to get my plays produced for the first time and teaching. I was uh, an overworked um, adjunct at Malcolm X College. Mm. Um, And that was in like, the height of my brother's magnificence on Morgan Park Academy's basketball team. <laughs> so once I realized how cool my brother was, I was like, I'm going to be at every single game. Yeah, that's really <laughs> That is kind of the genesis. Um, it's a good thing you worked on your jump shot. Otherwise, you guys would never become <laughs> friends. Yeah, no relationship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's really when we started hanging out. And I think he much to my surprise, started writing on his own um, when he went off to college. And, you know, I think when we were little, like, we had always played at rapping, mm. you know? Like, definitely on certain Christmases, Damon was doing yeah, some, yeah, some yeah, definitely. rapping. My name is Damon, and I'd like <laughs> That's to almost it. That's almost how it started. Do you remember the bar's name? Ah, uh, <laughs> my name is Damon. Got a story to tell. Sit back and listen, because I rhyme so well. Before I get started, where should I begin? I'm seven years old. That's three from ten. And it would just change, no matter what age I was. So if I got to, like, nine, that was one from ten. I think those were ghostwritten. I think I stole a lot of them from my dad, to be honest. I was to say, that seems like, a, I believe Melly Mel said that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it, it was interesting. Also, like, I, I kind of was, like, wanted to be a rapper real bad when, like, Bow Wow came out. When yeah. I was, like, 10, 9, 11. He also wanted cornrows, right? right? I wanted braids. I wanted to April rap. Wasn't and I wanted it. to play basketball. Like, almost opposite of your story. She, like, crushed my dreams of, like, being a young black boy <laughs> who wants like, to rap and play gonna basketball. you are going to be the most stereotypical. <laughs> you can't do that. And and, like, I, I cried not. and I threw away my raps. I just, like, realized this, like, <laughs> six months ago. That, like, I, I was, like, hating myself for wanting to rap for a while. That's really interesting, though, because you're talking about, like, when she was taking you guys to all these spaces that maybe you didn't appreciate at the time, but it's a balance of both, like, the ballet and the African art show and the dance on that, like, but she, that, there was no room for that hip-hop thing in that version? Yeah, I think I think mid-early 2000s, there was like a lot of upper, she was more corporate, had a lot of upper middle class aspirations. Mm-hmm. And I was a lot more 87th Street that she was like getting comfortable for. I mean, I wasn't even allowed to listen to rap music. Like mm. I, I missed a lot of yeah, <laughs> hip-hop so. um, because I had to like <laughs> sneak and listen to rap starting when I was like 11 or well, 12. Well, on the other hand, me and my dad would like listen to Biggie CDs in the car when I was like <laughs> 11, you know? So... So yeah, it was it was a weird thing that she was like trying to groom me for excellence and like braids and rapping like seemed to be stereotypical and contra- a contradiction of that. And it was it was something weird that I had to like get over. It's something I probably I always had trouble claiming being a rapper, and I think that's that's really why. And so that's kind of how I would say our thing started because we were able to bring a different like fusion to it and being able to bring more of the literary and, and poetic verse to these hip-hop tracks. Uh, So that is a little interjection into her question. And that's a really interesting idea, though, since especially with this play and with your other work, you know, the influence of, you know, hip-hop poetics or the influence of those kinds of verse or structure, you know, you making a point to not just use it, but, you know, make sure that it has its rightful place on that stage alongside Shakespeare when it was something that even in that relationship with your mom, like, she wasn't really seeing the validity of like do you think that it was the l tab scene that gave it that validity for her or like when did that become like 
I think okay it's an right ongoing with, journey. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's an ongoing yeah. journey, you know? Like, as my brother and I become more politicized and um, and more radical, we definitely are pushing our mother to sort of come along and challenge a lot of her dearly held beliefs and, like, you know, challenge her ideas about respectability and challenge her ideas about gender and sexuality. And, you know, it's an it's a beautiful thing that we have a relationship with our mother that, you know, where she was so intentional about teaching us and exposing us. Now she is very open to learning from us and yeah. being exposed by us as well. Yeah, that's amazing. That's like not a, like I know you guys definitely appreciate her, mm -hmm. but like not everyone gets that kind of relationship with a parent, you know? Yeah, no, it's beautiful. And then I think just us doing it is what made because she's she's the ultimate fan and the ultimate supporter right so she's front row at a basketball game or a play and she's just as loud in either in either yeah. setting right like she screams <laughs> you know, in the play like it's a basketball every theater game. in chicago that i've worked with and now in london is like can we just hire your mom to be in all of our audience <laughs> she's a one one person audience <laughs> member so really once we did it and you know there was always such a a, a theme of honoring her with our collaboration that I think that pulled her along in a way that she probably, she probably listens to more rap now because uh, she like, likes, who is it? T.I. or she something? She does like T.I. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> That's more like reality Like TV that of, of all the people that she would really, she'd be like, you know, like I really don't mess with hip hop, but it's really accessible to me. Like, I just feel like his message is so clear. <laughs> That's just yeah. our middle age yeah, crush she thing. just thinks he's cute. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, um, we'll talk a little bit about y'all rapping together, but, before we talk about it, let's hear an example of it. Um, we're going to play one of the April Fool's tracks. Um, this is 40 Days, 40 Nights. Admit, I'm ashamed of myself. I don't be on shit, no one to blame but myself. Commitment and productiveness can all go to hell. Ain't trying to deal with no one else, just finna stay in my shell. Man, I fucking hate this shit. Take a deep sigh as the day begins. Don't see how I'm making it. Strength fades, pay phases in. Don't feel like turning these papers in. Fell in the class I major in. Hate waking up at 8 a.m. Stayed up all night going crazy again. Repeating previously pray for sins. No defeating the devious hate within. So still pleading from tedious laboring. The walls are contracting and caving in. Despair is sweet. I savor it, the flavor be my favorite Got too close to Satan, now I'm trying to stay away from him I'm looking out for sirens, she's looking for serenity Taking advantage of the fact that she's so into me The ego boost, I raise the guilt of taking her virginity I'll probably forget her name, but she'll always remember me So you realize I'm selfish, oh damn girl you caught me Love is blind, so you start acting like you never saw me I see your face and she slides down the boxes that you bought me As I try to unlearn all the things that you taught me Pay attention don't miss the moment lips are moist the kiss is poison this joint lit got me disjointed parents are so disappointed i've gone astray which is displayed by the arrogance in my choices my i agree with what you see but still treat you like an annoyance the toxins in my system the weakness of a victim stuck in this relationship with these abusive substances that are serving as my sustenance my nerves stop me from functioning rushing to my destruction my whole world's under construction no detours just beat horns my heart breaks keep pumping i can't take it now i'm breaking down my engine's barely running but my grin glows so no one knows, I guess you call that frontin'. Stitch don't smiles, repel the crows and stop scavengers from hunting. I'm a passenger with no ticket on this empty train. And if I was made in his image, then I fear he may be plain. 
Looking in the mirror, I feel I use his face in vain. But I got the man up, cause you can't cry every time it rains. Cause April showers bring April flowers, remain faithful. April didn't raise no coward, I was raised to fight. Shaking up my life, season every minute. Second an hour, let me hop my stinking ass in the shower and find out what's going on. Y'all know sometimes I'm great and sour, but life keeps going on and on. and treadmill or elliptical for the rush of sustenance those endorphins serotonin dopamine delivered actively fashioning happiness with neurotransmitters but that only happens half the time sometimes the sun only is half the shine panic attacks losing half my mind hammering back a glass of wine insomnia self-medicate to regulate the misery meditate to catch a break and try to be more sisterly the web feels like my only friend the universe ain't hearing me feel more wretched every second my reflection peers at me i fear he'll peep the tears that streak and start the disappearance speech it's weird for all my peers to see the darkness that appears in me it's not that i'm ungrateful for the failed attempt to cheering me up and dizzy down till we're drowning and plowing through lovers and ounces who found us alone and phoning on couches languid and basements had no business down there but pass me the bowl and pass me the crown don't ask me how aptly i'm asking a frown don't ask me what hands cause the damage or how regress on saturdays after a round my intentions are fencing my memories blend with forgetting identities i'm back again now and i'm off the stress i'm off my death i have too much to offer blessings never felt so water for the garden in my chest and i'm off obsessive bartering the parcels of myself and I'm off negative partnerings, not fostering my health. And I've never been a martyr, Joan of Arc, I never will. The difference between sympathy and empathy is real. So I'm on that, like a wombat, on a long branch in the outback. Mining for diamonds to light up my mind, and finally I found that. So I'm on love, it was wrong once, but I'm open again like a mousetrap. In a house that has a house cat, patrolling the kitchen, I pounce at opportunities. And new degrees of doing me, improving each pursuit I seek. Don't you be confusing me with a human that I used to be. I'm off her, now we on our April foolery. What's up? That was uh, that was me. <laughs> that was me and my sister. We at April Fools. That was forty days and forty nights. It's like four years old now. Off our half type EP, Foolish Pride. This is eighty eight point five WHBK Ergo Radio. I'm here with my big sister, Christiana Colon. How'd it feel listening to old bars? Old I mean. You know, it depends. It, like, I love that song. Um, I remember very vividly how it felt for us to be recording those handful of songs that we released as Foolish Pride. And, Where were you recording? Um, we were a little bit all over the place. That particular song, um, where do we record that? We record that in oh, Antar's yeah. closet. <laughs> very nice closet. Like he very hooked nice it up. Closet, very nice closet. Wax story. We... Yeah, no, we're not even gonna. Um... Are you sure you don't want to go <laughs> yeah, there? And then, yeah, we don't want to go there. And then from there, we were at uh, Music Garage with with what is now On God Studio. Yeah. Is where uh, the the second batch of our stuff for that project came out from. So how'd you guys decide to start rapping together? 
Man, we were in my living room. Like the Christmas Eve Eve. <laughs> yeah, we were in my living room. Um, that semester, Damon had started sending me like Facebook videos of him doing poetry into his laptop. And I was like, this is so weird. My brother has never, to my knowledge, been a poet. And Had you been writing before? No, nah, not really. Not really. Not besides some raps here and there when I would have the confidence to do that. But it was really um, because of her... Um, artist Brooke Young, who was also who now goes by his name, Relique Bouchard, and Reggie R.J. Eldridge. Um, they, Ergo alum. Yeah, Ergo alum. The the day before sophomore year, when I was like about to hit the highway, they had like did this like go away present of like ciphering off their pieces like in a circle, like going around performing, performing, performing. I was just like at that point, I had such a, a desire for a creative outlet. That I was like, mm -hmm. all right. When I get to school, I'm just going to do it because I don't do anything else at school. So <laughs> I'm going to write something. Yeah. Yeah. So we had this impromptu jam session in my living room. Uh, Damon got super inspired, started writing, sending me stuff. Uh, and then the next time he was home, we um, we were just sitting around, playing around, goofing <laughs> off. And they're like, you know what would be dope <laughs> if we rap together? <laughs> you know we should be called? April Fool's. <laughs> and then everyone like jumped up and like spit on We had like had our Grammys planned out already. We're, like, we're gonna have a seven piece band. We're gonna yeah, yeah all types of stuff. <laughs> so you guys put out that project. I'm getting stuck on this just because I think it's like interesting that y'all made this together. Um and it's not that often, but like what was the process? Because you guys do a lot of like you know, sharing a four bar phrase where like you'll do two and he'll do two or like you're in conversation there. Um, had you written with people like that, whether it was rap or poetry or plays, like had you done collaborative work back and forth that closely like that? I think that my LTAB experience is probably mm. the most uh, that I've done that. I mean, I, you know, writing group pieces is essentially that. And then I coached uh, a couple LTAB teams. I coached a team for the National Poetry Slam as well. So also helping other poets figure out how to break up their text into something that is choral, something that is woven together. It's definitely a skill that I have practiced in other contexts. And as a playwright, you know, I am writing bars for other characters and like, you know, writing scenes that are supposed to be freestyle ciphers. Mm. And so having to write in multiple styles for different voices. So that is definitely something that I bring to me and Damon's writing. Are there other writers you've seen who have done that kind of thing of like trying to write what's supposed to be a freestyle cipher in the like in a play or in a movie or something like that? Um, the one I know who does it really well is Idris Goodwin. And, you know, he's really, he's a, a rapper. He was a teacher at YCA and he's also a playwright. And I was acting in his early plays and he was really the first person that I saw that like bridged the gap between poetry and theater and really inspired me to take that leap as well. And so he's got a play out called How We Got On that is, uh, a hip hop story, and we I, actually read a excerpt for that. That was my first time going to wordplay. The feature was pe scenes was from his show, from and, and, we, and we, mm. we we read for that. Yeah, um, so Idris does that, um, and he does it really well. And so he's definitely, I think, uh, my inspiration in that respect. Mm. So with this play, like, what would you say the one that uh, Octagon that just premiered? What would you say were like the most difficult parts in terms of like turning the critical eye on this community. Like that's something that you've been part of for a long time. Like now 
starting to not, it's not even like a takedown, but it's a meaningful critique. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's in two acts. And the first act is very much a celebration of the world. And the second act is a critique of the misogyny of, you know, the spoken word community, which I think is just a reflection of, you know, society's misogyny right. and just how women's voices can be dismissed or devalued um, and how women are kind of put in boxes that men don't have to live in. Um, so I think that's one of the most dominant critiques that are within the play and, you know, how we often privilege male celebrity over women's safety. Mm. Um, I think it's also a critique of, you know, some of the egos and some of the you know, facade yeah. that comes along with constantly performing and how... Right. As artists, we oftentimes extend our p performances beyond the stage and into mm -hmm. our personal relationships uh, and the complications that that causes. Is that, is that something that you've... I, I'm going to get personal. <laughs> like, is that something that you feel like you've had to battle with? Like that, where does the stage end type thing? Well, I think with me, it's kind of the reverse in that um, as opposed to like having a stage persona, it's that I am like very much myself <laughs> everywhere. And so I... I tend not to put up some of the barriers that might otherwise protect me. And so, you know, I think a lot of my public persona can be too intimate. And, you know, mm. I allow people to see a lot of my vulnerability in ways that other folks don't. I, I, I got a, a question. I think the, the critique that was most, I'm going to say, poignant. Yeah. Poignant for me. Uh, <laughs> we still do this. She still checks my, my homework. Um <laughs> <laughs> was was the the use of the docu the documentary as a as a device? Yeah. And so with people who've been on the show, so many of our friends whose um, story was crafted by by the LTAP documentary, um, and the fact that you're critiquing who gets to tell the story and how people's stories are framed, which I've still never seen, by the way, for the record. Oh, oh man. man, you work at you like work at YCA. I know. Like, I know. You gotta, it's like, it's like on Netflix. That's like why I don't want to see it though yeah, it's for these exact reasons. You don't really know who Nate Marshall is until you see that movie. Yeah, you gotta see <laughs> I had known Nate for like five years before I saw it. I was like, oh, this is who he was. Oh, okay, I get it all now. It's like beautiful. Um, so so for for i.e. now that we mention them like the Nate Marshalls of the world um who have such a close relationship to an actual movie and they were aware or part of some of the development process was there any how did they take it was there any tension or did people be like are you throwing shots or did they appreciate kind of what you saw about some of the contradictions of making a movie about young poets um you know i think honestly i feel like the, a lot of the YCA family has been pretty removed from the development of Octagon. Like Nate definitely did do one of the early readings and his biggest critique was of the poetry. He's like, yo, if you're going to do this poetry slam play, all the poems got to be hot. And then I went home and cried and rewrote them. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a, good, but, that's a good ass critique though, because yeah, anyway, go ahead. It's important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, that I think that was the hardest part was writing all the poems for the play. Uh, but in terms of the, the documentary element of the play, um, I really love the LTAB uh, movie, and I think that that story was told very well. Um, I think that if the play means to take shots, it means to take shots at HBO. Um, oh, because, for Brave New Voices? Yeah, because what happened after LTAB and the film being so successful um, is HBO, you know, having abandoned the deaf poetry jam model 
um, did which this, you appeared on, which I appeared on. Snaps, yes. snaps, film. Um, like almost the youngest. I was appearance. one of the youngest. I was eighteen. Oh, you you were seventeen when you filmed. It was eighteen when you aired. That's true. Yeah. You check um, his homework. You check his <laughs> I write her uh, Wikipedia. Page. <laughs> um, but in in the aftermath of that, when uh, Brave New Voices came out, you know, it was filmed reality show style, which meant there was even less uh, in terms of you know all the people that featured on Deaf Poetry Jam at least got a stipend, um, however small hmm. it may have been. Uh, but they HBO had no obligation to pay these young people that they were filming. And I think part of the critique that's in the play that carries over from that is, you know, so much of art is the art of selection. So you choose who to focus on. Right. And that has huge, enormous um, consequences or ramifications throughout a young person's life. On both their career and also public perception of an art form. Absolutely. Like, if that's the depiction of this community moving forward like people outside of it are going to base their understanding on just that absolutely and i think that it did uh, a lot of great things in terms of a lot of the artists that were featured in that film now have careers as poets and yeah. can be poets full-time and i think that a lot of that is credited to them getting that early boost in their career uh, and as someone that got a similar boost from uh deaf poetry jam i understand the value of that uh, but i also understand how that can affect the adolescent ego and how that then affects the nature of the slam and the energy of the slam. And when you're going to a competition whose mantra is the points are not the point, but you see that there's a very real value attached to who the cameras focus on, mm. um, that, you know, there's a kind of disingenuousness to this like, oh, it's all about the art and it's all about lifting each other up when clearly some people are getting you know, privileged and some are not. And that, you know, that is, I think, antithetical to the spirit of what Youth Slam is supposed to do for young people. Do you still like Youth Slam as a form? I, I love going to Louder Than a Bomb. I, um, I judge almost every year. And the things that young people are doing, I mean, they are so much smarter and better than I was mm -hmm. at their age. Um, it's just phenomenal. Are they smarter than Damon was at that age? Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. the Kumba Lynx team is supernatural. I've never mm. seen anything like them. Mm. Um, I, I, to just a, a little segue, as we were kind of uh, taking shots a little bit, we we like we said we like to do that. So we have a new segment here where we have a little bit of fun. It's kind of my, it's my second favorite thing, um, <laughs> and it's it's called beef with an R and B singer. We feel like R and B singers are left off the hook. Um, and we're about that action here on Ergo Radio. So we put every guest on the spot and, you know, R&B is getting beef because of us. We're starting to beef every week. So any era, any genre, well, not genre because it's R&B, but any era or style of R&B singer, you, who you got beef with and why? Oh, come real on. Quick. You know this is I, too I, easy. Come on. Let, let me hear it. I why you did this. Go thing. in. So like. Go in, poet. <laughs> <laughs> so Kim. Yeah. Let's start with Kim. Get him. And like. I'm sorry, who? Just clarify. Kem. Right. right. K-E-M. Right. Right. Shrug. Why? <laughs> um, mostly because... For those of you who couldn't see, I literally put up one eyebrow in the studio <laughs> like, I don't know who on earth you're talking about. Go on. I mean, he doesn't sound good. 
Uh, and he looks like a turtle. Uh, but, you know, let's leave his looks out of it. Yeah. Um, but our mother just won't stop with Swooning the cam. Swooning over Kim. And, like, just has his scratch CDs floating all over her car and will not, like, go past the, the skipping right. from the scratching. We'll just, like, let it skip. It's just ridiculous. So this whole, like, very whiny, neo... I'm sultry. I'm so sexy. Look at my unbuttoned shirt. Oh, my Rub on my yeah, chest. I just looked at a picture of him. The size of his head is absurd. <laughs> so He is absurd. He is absurd, Kim. <laughs> and then I'm going to go ahead and, like, go Raheem Devon. Yeah, this is pretty right much behind. just an anti mob thing. I hope she's listening. These are her two this favorites. Is, this isn't beef with an R&B singer. This is beef with a mother. <laughs> well, it's because she, like... She plays them as though they are good. Like as if it's classic stuff. As as though this is like quality music. <laughs> and it's just so, like, it doesn't sound good. Like, I don't want it playing in the background Cheesy of our writing. family function. You know, anything. Bad metaphors, it's, too many puns. Yeah, it's not musically good. It's not written well. And, and she just is obsessed with it. And it's like, no one can talk when her song comes <laughs> on. So conversation has to stop. She wants the song on repeat. We got to listen to it five times. All right, so we got tag team beef against <laughs> Kim and Raheem Devon. We're coming for your neck. <laughs> I think we we got about it's about like twelve fifty one. You we wanna you wanna go to the next segment? Or yeah, you got a few let, more questions. No, let's for move it? right, right into it. So that was our second favorite thing to do. Okay, our absolute favorite thing to do, and all of the fans are raving about it. Okay, um, it's our little game we play. It's called Let Me School You, Youngin. So this is cool because you're my you're my big sister. Yeah. But you know, you schooled you from time to time. Yeah, sure. of course. But you know, we we focus on a you know the thirty five and under kind of demographic is kind of our thing here. So we want to add, you know, some lessons to the kids and to the streets out here in Chicago and beyond. Everybody listening on the TuneIn Radio app and all those type of things. Yeah. And the podcast. And the podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Listen on SoundCloud. So it's called Let Me School You Young, and we play an old school track. We don't give you the name. Or who it is, and we see if you know. This one's gonna be hard. I doubt that you got it in you. Okay. I have no faith in you. Okay. But but you qualify to win something, and we'll see what that is afterwards if you get it. So we just want to see if you can either school the youngins, or if we're gonna have or to the school youngins you. Will school me. Yes. So we got a joint. This one's from the seventies. I'm pretty sure. I forgot which year. But you may recognize it was a it was sampled by a Timbaland and Aaliyah song. Hmm. Or Timbaland for Aaliyah. This Let me school you young on Ergo 88.5 WHPK.
intermittently we're apart The fussing and fighting starts As soon as the love making starts If you want me Oh! I feel like that's what every R&B singer used to do They used to have one more Oh! So, if you... <laughs> if you have this, Christiana, you are entered. You are qualified Man, to win a trip I to Leon's really... barbecue with the actor Leon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, like you, I, I really believe that it's Donny Hathaway. Today. It is not Donny Hathaway, <laughs> unless he's a lead singer of this group, which I wouldn't know. But this is by the newcomers. Too little in common to be loved. Too little in common to be lovers. Hmm. And Aaliyah, I care for you. Use that, that yeah, instrumental. Absolutely. And that's my joint. So, you have been schooled. I've been youngin'. schooled. Yeah. And we got about a few minutes left. So, our third tradition on Ergo is that we like to keep it live in the studio. And would you bless us with something? Will you give the people what um, they want? What, yeah. they, what they are clamoring to hear? So some of the words think, from Christina? Uh, I think what I would like to do is one of the pieces from Octagon. So, True. brother, since you traveled all the way to London to see the play, and so you have some context, um, would you like to hear Prism's piece? Prism, the protagonist, or, you know, her foil, Jericho? I'm a- I'm gonna let you do prism. I think I think I think you can embody that. If you were <laughs> if you were acting in the play, you would be casted as prism before yeah. Jericho. So do that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, so you know, the slam is happening and then some stuff gets kind of wild and Prism was gonna go up and do a piece that she had prepared, but instead uh she decides to freestyle this. Off the top. I'm hatchup soot in a cat suit with a manicure and an attitude. Zora in a fedora brashly scanning the room in a brassy mood. Sylvia Plath, titties and ass. The value of mastering passion's dunes. Half my detractors just gasping fumes. Laughable actors with bad reviews. Hannibal Lecter appetite. Devour you savagely half the night. Bandage all your battle scars till the sky is light and the planets rise. When the time is right, we can ban disguises. When your mind is light, we cancel fear. When you abandon your camouflage and stand aligned with the lioness, unimpressed with your collection of prejudices and vinyl press, trying to possess me is like trying to buy the sun. Jokers dying to undress me will be dying by the gun of my throat. Yeah, my cannon blasts at the palace gates. I'll be gossamer transparent if my stanza's too opaque. Smoking Cubans like a chimney on a camel's back in Chad. Soldiers from my kingdom got my throne up on their backs and they fan me with the feathers of a thousand birds of prey while you clowns debate my dowry and the count of who I lay. Discount the wisdom crystallized in the shadows of my mouth. You chatterboxes get all wound up when I wind up on your spouses. When I rock my racy blouses, when I rock the sold-out houses, my rivals pouting on the outskirts while my tribe is calling me the Countess. A condor diving in the mountains. A goddess growing in her light. My throat is a tower. Each brick is the power my tongue has come to ignite. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Blah, 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 blah. We do our own sound effects here. Boom, 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 boom. 
That was love. That was love. So any uh any so if that's from the play, any plans to bring the play this side of the ocean? Man, there are uh, lots of interests here in Chicago for the play, and I'm really looking forward to meeting that right production company that can do it justice. We didn't even get- cut the check. <laughs> Seriously, we didn't even get to the point where we mentioned the insane award that you just received, the honor that you just re- uh, received. Yeah, I um, was recently named one of four of the Goodman's uh, Playwrights in Residence, the first all-female playwright unit. Right, that's love. So we are winding down on Ergo on here on 88.5 WHBK. So big sister, one, I love you and thank you for coming and, and helping and filling in. And I'm so excited that we got to talk to you in front of the world. But where can they find you and what is like something that's going on? Because I know you got a million things. Yeah. Next thing is the Citizens Anthology with Inconvenience Theater. It opens the first week of November and my piece appears in that. Um, so check that out at Victory Gardens. And, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm Christiana Speaks on Twitter, ChristianaCologne.com, ChristianaChicago at Gmail if you want to send me a message, you know. Christiana AF on, on, the, on the gram. On the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, out of the basement onto stages across the world. Look at that. Yeah. Christiana, thank you so much Thanks for, for being here. Me. Ergo, we'll be back with you next week here on WHBK 88.5 ergoradio.com subscribe on itunes listen on soundcloud support us on patreon look out for the first live show coming in november we'll have the info for you soon thanks so much for tuning in